From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Hope you one of my friends. I'm just trying to save you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to put days like today into context, because you need that. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The sense of capitulation is so thick, you could cut it with a dull plastic knife. Buyers, they vanish. Sellers keep dumping the same stocks because they've decided that if you can't beat the bond market, well, you might as well join it. Right now, from looks of things, you can't beat the bonds. They're too all-powerful. And that's how you get a day where the Dow tumbles 388 points, the S&P plunges 1.47%, and the Nasdaq plummets 1.57%. What a hideous session, at least for the bulls. What does it mean to be able to not beat the bonds? Look, the bond market is gigantic, much bigger than the stock market. Most people don't realize that. When interest rates go relentlessly higher as they have this year, at each level, each pivot, more people lose interest in stocks, and we're seeing that again right now. When you lose interest, this is what you do pretty much every day in this miserable month of September. When this market becomes emotional, I like to be clinical. So why don't we do this? Let's get into the minds of the sellers, who, by the way, have ample motivations for their actions. Not disagreeing. First, these myriad sellers know that interest rates have gone from exceedingly low to, well, much higher. You can earn 4.55% risk-free. Now, if you buy the 10-year treasury, you can earn 4.87% with a 20-year. Hey, that's much better than it was a year ago. These yields are going high for three reasons. First, the Fed has not been able to fully get inflation under control, and their endless tightenings haven't yet done much damage to the economy, meaning they have every incentive to keep tightening. Where are the bankruptcies? Where are the huge layoffs? Where's the peak in housing? Not yet, says Mr. Powell. Second, over the past few years, the federal government's authorized colossal amounts of spending. It needs to be financed with massive bond issuance. And they don't care what kind of price they get for their bonds. They've got to pay the bills. Third, the Federal Reserve itself owns $8 trillion in total assets, down from a peak of around $9 trillion last spring. But it owns just $4 trillion worth before the pan- pandemic. The government and the Fed motivated sellers. The Fed selling their bonds is, is another way they can crack down on inflation, by the way, and they seem to reload at every opportunity. These three reasons have crushed anyone who gets in the way of the bond market, making potential buyers skittish because every single time they buy, they get their heads handed to them. So the buyers of Treasuries are now on strike, which is how the Treasury yields could go up so much in the last 48 hours. Remember, when prices go down, yields go higher. What does any of this have to do with the stock market, you're probably asking? 
Look at it this way. First, why own stocks when you can make north of 4.5% risk-free from the tenure? Tenure's treasury is like a great dividend stock that's guaranteed not to lose your money over the next decade. That's the real strong competition to any stock, isn't it? Second, financing costs are soaring for those who use credit cards, not a mortgage, or want to buy a car. That's problematic. Third, corporate profits are probably headed lower because interest rates are a huge part of the cost of doing business. So higher financing costs really hurt for the vast majority of companies and their clients. Who wants to own a stock where the earnings estimates are probably going to come down? Of course, and this is forgotten, if the Fed can get inflation under control, that would bring buyers into Treasury, sending their yields down and causing money to flow back into the stock market. Plus, if you think stocks have gotten oversold versus bonds as an asset class, you might want to be a buyer, and stocks have come down pretty hard lately. But even if the Fed can't beat inflation anytime soon, there are reasons to own stocks. More than three. First, plenty of companies can actually do well in this environment. You're going to hear from two of them later in the show, outrunning both inflation and higher Treasury yields. There have been many times in history where rates went relentlessly higher, and you can still make money in stocks. Most of these occurred in the 80s and 90s, but they did occur. I remember I was running money myself. I killed it buying stocks when everyone else was running away from them in both periods like now. Buying anything seemed crazy when I bought them, but it was the right call. Second, many stocks have come far down more than they should relative to Treasury yields. Now, that's subjective. But if a company can still make money in a higher rate environment, then maybe you need to buy the stock right here. Capitulation breeds buying opportunities. Always has. Always will. Not a cliche, but truth. Third, maybe a 4.5% risk-free doesn't cut it for you. Or maybe a 4.7% doesn't. Maybe you want more. Maybe there are stocks that are worth owning, even if you could get 5% from the 10-year. You know something? Today I, I saw the Denny's, yeah, the restaurant chain, commemorated a booth where NVIDIA's Jensen Wong could hang, would hang out when he co-created a company that's now worth a trillion dollars. I don't want to find more 10-years. I want to find you more NVIDIA's. I don't want to run in place. I want to make more money than the tenures offer. Is it possible? Of course it is. Hey, maybe we just need to find the next booth. Finally, what happens if Fed really gets under control, gets inflation under control? What happens? Well, then you could argue that the short rates would be too high. Sure, it may not mean that the 20-year or the 10-year will go down that much in yield, but the short rates would, as there'd be no reason for the Fed to keep them high. More important, go back to that Denny's booth, will you? As long as inflation's raging, even if you find the next NVIDIA, you might not want to own it. Because something like NVIDIA stock trades on future earnings many years down the road, and inflation erodes the value of those future dollars. But you definitely want it if inflation is under control. Now, there are so many darn cross currents right now, it's hard to keep your eye on the prize. I mean, there's a president who joins the picket line, first time in history. He's not trying to help negotiate a deal between the UAW and the Big Three. He's trying to beat the Big Three, ask them to pay people a lot more while they also need to spend fortunes to pivot to electric vehicles. We got the FTC and the Justice Department gunning for the mega caps. Chair of the FTC, Lena Khan, has hated Amazon for years, wrote a law review article about how Amazon's got monopolistic ways. She did them when she was in law school. When she was appointed by President Biden, though, you had to presume she'd bring the suit. She's against any company she regards as too big, even though that's not really a legal standard. Justice Department's grilling at Apple's NDQ about how come they decide to give consumers the best default search engine with Google. Can you imagine if Apple used Bing? Joke! Apple cared enough to give you the very best. What would the government give you? So we have a government that's less interested in companies doing well than any other time I can recall my career. No wonder we're paying less for their earnings. But I want to make something real clear. There's always a place where interest rates stop going up because bomb buyers are found. Inflation does get destroyed in the end. 
Stocks eventually reflect more than the worst after we get a capitulation. And that is the only surety. We don't know if that's happening now or at the next level, 4.75 or the 10-year and 5% for the 20. Or the next level after that, 5 for the 10-year, 5 and a quarter for the 20-year. Hey, 5 and a quarter, 5 and a half. I got 5 and 6. I got got 6. Okay? We don't know. However, at some point, it will be reached. We can't just ignore that, which means you need to buy some stocks here, not sell them. Just don't do it all at once. Do it at a scale. Some here, some lower. Because if the Treasury yields do go to those levels, you want enough cash left over to buy more stock. We're oversold enough now to justify it, if not just insist that something be bought. Well, I mean, it's what could be more painful? Well, that's what I like. I don't like, I'm not a masochist. I just like to buy pain. Bottom line, you buy stocks when you're trying to get rich. You buy treasuries to stay rich. I think a mix of both is fine. But if you go all bonds now, I now think you're liable to miss something real good in stocks, even as that seems downright impossible. It always seems that way. It never is. Ken in Illinois, Ken. Good day, Dr. Kramer. I'm a second-time caller from Central Illinois. Excellent. Good to have you on the show. I have a small position in ELF stock, ELF. Mm-hmm. It's pulled back significantly since mid-September, though, perhaps due to many large insider sales. Do you feel that ELF stock is still a buy? Uh, I happen to think the, the world of ELF, I think it's doing incredibly well. But I will say this. ELF stock is up 97%. That's not what you buy when the market is getting killed. A stock up 97% is a candidate for sell, sale, sell, sell. not buy, even if it's terrific. Let's go to Dodd in Georgia. Dodd. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Hey, man, how you doing? Good. Long time, first time. Okay. Jim, I've invested in this company for so long, I honestly cannot remember if it was a result of your influence or not. It has certainly been a big winner for me. I know we avoid and or ditch companies with accounting problems, but what do you think about some of the current hullabaloo around Axon? Ever since I recommended this stock, which, by the way, when the stock was about 17, there has been hullabaloo hullabaloo about Axon. And that hasn't changed. As a matter of fact, that's probably the, the only constant about Axon, other than the fact that its stock goes higher. Ann in Indiana, Ann. Hi, Jim. We're having our first rain in six weeks out here. Well, I'll send you some rain. I got plenty of it. What's happening? So after reading, I'm a Grateful Club member, by the way. Forgot to tell you you. that. Uh, So there was an article last week in the Wall Street Journal about Estee Lauder. And I'm wondering, with these Chinese regulations on cosmetic imports, Do you feel that's already baked into the stock or are things worse than I thought? Okay, Um, I was pretty candid this morning at the 1020 and again at the uh, at our two ish that we do after two o'clock that you can't own it yet. Estee Lauder is going to have a horrible quarter and I can't buy it ahead of a horrible quarter. Once that happens, then I could be interested, but it is probably going to be horrible. And that's a shame, but it's the truth. So we're holding back by. Let's go to Ken in Oregon. Ken. Uh, is there a chill man in the house? Yeah, I'm ready for you. What's going on? Okay. Um, my question is about Bolero. Uh, after your last interview, I picked some up. It's gone down, stayed down. Is it down for the count? Buy, sell, or hold? Okay, uh, Bolero's not doing as well as a lot of people thought. 
Uh, therefore, it's still doing, uh, it's still probably going to go lower, but there is fundamental value to a bowling alley chain. I just can't find out where that is, but it is a SPAC, and a lot of those are still going lower just because they're guilt by association. Okay, treasuries are not that good for building well. They're sure good for keeping well. Stocks are what you buy when you're trying to get rich. You buy treasuries to stay rich. Oh, man, buddy, today, Compline has fallen from its July highs. And with the company kicking off its current conference to lay out the future of data streaming, I'm learning more about what's on the horizon with company stock brass. Then close viewers know we have been following this never-ending rally in the price of oil, and as investors are searching for a top in the commodity, which would be amazing, I'm going to my expert in the field, RBN Energy's Rusty Brazil, for more. And with Carrier's acquisition of Wiesman marching forward, what synergies exist to create a new climate powerhouse in the reimagined carrier that is not going to be stopped by the darn tenure? I'm getting the details of the deal with the CEO, so stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. After spending the winter and spring roaring higher, the fast-growing tech cohort, of course, been clobbered over the last couple of months. These things always sell off when interest rates are on the rise, no matter how good they are. If you're wondering, well, maybe the 
they come to a certain level, it's interesting. I think we might be finding it. Take Confluent, the next generation data analytics and data infrastructure play that we spoke to in June. Stock was at 34. When Confluent reported a pretty spectacular quarter in early August, it got some nice traction. Since then, it's down more than 20%, even though they're killing it. You're getting that quarter for free because the backdrop's turned against this kind of tech, not against Confluent itself. This week, though, Confluent's hosting a big event where they're launching a new product. Uh, they're generally pitching their data stream platform. we got to find out more about this. Could this be enough to get people to understand that there could be some great value here longer term? Let's check in with Jay Krebs. He's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Confluent, which is a company that we've completely endorsed on this show from the beginning. Yet a better read on the situation. Mr. Krebs, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me. Okay, so, Jay, uh, my father worked at Gimbel's, which was a retailer. He had to close. They closed the store uh, once a month in order to take inventory of how many gabardine pants there were. Tell me now what you are doing if you're selling pants at Walmart. Yeah, that's that's exactly the change that we're seeing all across the economy. You know, a lot of these businesses used to be these big batch systems where you collect the data at the end of the week. You analyze it, you make some decisions, maybe at the end of the month, you reorder some stuff or change your prices. Now, all of that has to be real time. Like you go on your app, you want to see what's in the store right now. You want to be able to buy it or go pick it up and have it, you know, all backed up, ready for you. Uh, to enable that, you need a real-time view of data across all the different systems all the time. Now, uh, tell and that's me, the problem that data streaming solves. Right, but now, tell me when you're on uh, last. We didn't have this uh, this product, uh, this platform, uh, and I just want you to explain to people that even since you were on last, you've got something that is much more exciting and informative for a major retailer, manufacturer, insurance company, bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, data streaming's been a big thing for a while. What Confluent has added is a technology called Flink. And this is an open source technology that allows you to build real-time applications that process data continuously. And so now you have not just the stream, but the processing of these streams. And so building that real-time inventory management just got that much easier. It's less code for our customers to write easier ability to kind of scale it out and run it in the cloud. So we're incredibly excited oh, about this. Okay, when I hear less code, what I think is if I worked at Dick's and I was trying to figure out whether we have too many Under Armour uh, mesh T-shirts, I could find out. Maybe I even could declare a sale at stores that have too much of them because I have asked the data and the data has spoken. Yeah, that's, that's exactly the idea. I mean, you look across different companies, they're trying to harness their data be able to apply it to these next generation AI models, use it to drive better pricing, better experience for customers. All of that's part of the actual operation of the company. You know, this is something that happens all the time in real time. But a lot of like the data technologies have been something that's all about batch. It's all about, you know, run it at the end of the night or run it at the end of the the month. Uh, as you were describing. So, Jay, if I don't have this, how do I compete in this new world? How can I keep up with Walmart that is doing, I mean, so many different inquiries within? I mean, just talk about what, what happens in three hours at a Walmart. Yeah, the, the reality is there's been a transition across virtually every industry. The, the largest banks, the largest retailers, insurance companies, car companies. All of them are adopting this kind of real-time technology. And the reality is increasingly when you run into some experience, whether it's online or in person, that's out of sync or disjointed and just has wrong data or isn't relevant, it feels kind of grating. It's not right. And, you know, the expectations have been raised as a result. And now I think it's, you know, not just a way of innovating, but kind of part of the base expectations of every consumer. 
Okay, so Jay, we were out at Salesforce uh, for their Dreamforce conference. And I've got to tell you, I heard Mark Benioff say that he was basically offering something very similar uh, with, with his different platforms. Now, that may be my naivete or my lack of knowledge of the industry, but how do you differentiate among competitors or are you allied with these companies? Yeah, yeah, we're actually quite complementary with the large set of other SaaS vendors, data systems. We're all about the real-time flow of data. And most of these other applications are kind of a storage where data goes to sit. And so we're kind of like the central nervous system that plugs all of these together. That solves a problem on both sides. Applications want to be able to connect into the rest of the company and provide value. And downstream use cases need to be able to tap into all the data a company has and be able to get value out of it. All right, so, so that role is really valuable. Okay, so Jay, I'm asking all, all our different guests. I mean, we have a world right now where the interest rates have gone uh, four, you know, four and a quarter, four and a half for the ten-year, four and three quarters, maybe going to five for the for the twenty-year. Is there any reason why your uh, customers would hold back buying Confluent if rates went to five and a quarter for the 10 years? Does that make any sense at all to say, whoa, I'm not buying a Confluent package? Well, one of the things that we've seen over the course of the last year with a bit of a roller coaster ride on infrastructure and, you know, kind of a stop and start in IT spending has been Confluent's been very durable. You know, we've had incredibly strong NRR. We've seen great retention in our customer base. We've seen great expansion and new use cases going forward. Everything, I think, is getting you know, scrutiny these days. But that's held up really well. And I think the reason is a lot of these use cases in real time are the mission-critical stuff that runs the business. And this is the stuff that kind of has to get done one way or the other. And I, I think that's helped drive our results. You know, that's perfect. Because I, I think I'm tired of hearing people saying, why would I want to own a stock like Confluent? When six months from now, they might want to own it because you just want a huge amount of business from everybody. And then and then they're paying double. I don't want that. I want them to pay at a good price. That's what you're offering right now. I want to thank Jay Krebs. He's co-founder, chairman, CEO of Confluent. There is so much on their website. If you don't understand what we just said, there's so many use cases. He really makes it easy. Jay, thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Jim. We have money's back here for the break. Coming up, the latest from across the oil patch. Reconcile the crude realities when Mad Money returns. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Reserve fight like crazy to stand about the few remaining sources of serious inflation. The last thing we need is this relentless rally in oil, the one that's taken West Texas intermediate crude up 28% since the end of June. We've been approaching this issue from all angles, trying to figure out any signs at the top. Tonight we're checking in with Rusty Brazil. He's the co founder and executive chairman of RBN Energy, indispensable. I consider him the number one energy expert in the world. He's joining us right after RBN's annual School of Energy conference to give us a lowdown on the industry and maybe help us because, boy, are we ever lost when it comes to energy. Rusty, welcome back to Mad Money. 
Well, thanks for having me, Jim. Good to see you again. Good to see you, Russ. You know we're in a jam here trying to figure out if there's ever a top in oil. We heard 100. We heard 150. All I want to do is rather than just say, look, where's it stop? Because that's not what we do together. But where does supply come out that makes it so that over the long term, we might be able to find some level that's equilibrium? Yeah. Well, well you know, a lot of what's going on lately has been uh, producers uh, uh, reducing their are uh, uh, reducing the growth of their capital expenditures, basically the capital discipline issue, and that is still where we are right now. But production is still growing, even though the rig count is down. So what we're really seeing is an improvement in productivity, and that means that we can continue to see production increasing, even with producers holding back on capital expenditures. So we can have we can be continuing to see growth at the same time we're holding back on capital, and that is all about productivity of the individual wells. Well, it's, the producers are just getting better at getting getting productivity out of out of those individual well, wells. If that's the case, they must not be getting enough out of them because it seems like that every day when we come in, oil's a little higher. Now we know Russia is allegedly flooding the market with with oil, but Saudi has cut back. I mean, I, can we be the swing producer that people used to say we're, we could be? No, it, it's not. It, we, we are a swing producer, but it is really the, the uh, OPEC and, right. uh, for the most part, the Saudis that are, are, are controlling things. After all, OPEC has, has, uh, uh, has cuts in place. The Saudis came back and did voluntary cuts on top of that. The cuts that they made were, were actually right on target if you're trying to keep the oil price up. They were successful at it, and that's the reason we're dealing with $90 prices right now. Really, when you think about it, all that's happened in terms of U.S. producers is we've kept the price from going any higher than that. But but historically, Rusty, the Saudis have feared that if you take the price of oil up even higher, then the United States will go nuts and drill, baby, drill. But so far, they're making a good bet that that's not going to happen. That's right. And I think it is a good bet because I believe producers in the United States have learned the lesson that drill, baby, drill is not what investors want to see. It is not what their stakeholders want to see. And therefore, they're going to grow slowly through productivity, not going out and just throwing money at the issue. But the last time we had oil this high, the oil stocks were much higher. The oil stocks are not reacting. It seems like every time they change their strategy, people find a new reason to sell the oil stocks. To me, they are all great bargains here. Because if, 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 if because yeah. look, if if we get Jordan at Kotara, if he decides, you know what, I'm going to go produce more oil, I'm producing a lot of natural gas, then theoretically $26 would be a ridiculous price. Pay 32 But he's not making that decision. Yeah. Right. And, and so what you can count on, I think, is that producers, as soon as you see the quarterly results come back from this quarter, 90 bucks is a pretty good price. And so when you see results coming back from this quarter, you're going to see some pretty significant dividends paid, I believe, uh, and stock buybacks because of the cash that they'll have from $90 crude oil or higher. Well, there, some, finally somebody has something that, that is of interest to the people who keep selling stocks. Now, Rusty, <laughs> it, it does not uh, do uh, our country a service. It, it does us a disservice unless we talk about all the other different kinds of products that come out of oil and natural gas liquids, because that's where we're really on fire. Right. 
Yeah, uh, so natural gas is growing faster than oil and NGLs, natural gas liquids, are growing faster than natural gas. They all come out of the same hole in the ground, but the natural gas, uh, the wells that are getting older, the older the wells get, the more gas they have with them. And a lot of producers are drilling in areas where there's high content natural gas liquids in the gas, and therefore they're getting more NGLs too. And in the case of oil, gas, and NGLs, almost all of those incremental barrels or MCFs are going overseas. They're going in, they're going into export markets. Okay, so if, if natural gas goes up because we have a cold winter in Europe and we now have an international price for natural gas, if the demand continues for NGLs and if oil stays up here, this is literally a bonanza for people, uh, companies that are drilling in the Permian. Uh, the Permian, uh, over the course of the last couple of years, essentially 90% of the growth in total U.S. production has come out of the Permian. And at our five-year uh, five forecast that we talked about last week at the conference that you mentioned, that's exactly the way we see it. It's really all about the Permian. There was a time you came on a, a couple of years ago in the curve, the long curve, said that we would be at 52, 55 uh, oil. Now, I'm not dismissing that because the curve can be wrong or can't be. But what's the curve telling us right now? The curve is, is still telling us, if you look at the curve right now, uh, uh, even though the, the prompt price is right around 90 bucks, the curve on average for the na- next five years comes out a little lower than 70 bucks. So uh, all that tells you is that there are more sellers on the forward curve than there are buyers on the forward curve. And as we've seen so many times, that forward curve really doesn't do too much in terms of forecasting what is likely to happen. The, the futures prices are no indication of future prices. But at the same time, aren't there oil producers in this country that are hedging like mad because they can get some good, pretty good prices locked in? That's right. But they're not going out five years, Jim. Right. They're going out a couple of years on those hedges, not five years. Well, I mean, it seems to me, and you can tell me from how people were at your conference, that this is a pretty darn good time to be in oil and gas. It is. It is. The, 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 the uh, investors uh, are... Or really, I don't want to say it, it's, it's back to the way it was in, in 2019 before COVID and, and before so much concentration on uh, uh, or, or, or so much worry about hydrocarbon production. But things have changed. They've really changed uh, since uh, the Ukraine war in that energy security is now top of mind. And what that means for a lot of investors and for the producers and midstreamers and end users of energy uh, that we are much more focused on hydrocarbons and what they can do for the market right now than we were, call it, two years ago. Well, there you go. I mean, people are just selling everything like, man, if you listen to Rusty, you realize some things are better than they have been before you give everything away. Rusty, thank you for coming back on Mad Money. It's always terrific to see you. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Tim. A reasoned, rational approach to investing means that perhaps you'd want to listen to Rusty Brazil, who is, to me, the best there is for RBN Energy. I felt like the two oil stocks we own for the club are not enough after I spoke to him. Mad Money's back into the break. Coming up, with a strong quarter, is this AC maker the cool kid on the street? Kramer carries the day with a stock to watch. Next.
past spring, we learned that Carrier Global, a huge heating, ventilation, air conditioning company, planned to buy a company called Wiesmann Climate Solutions. That's a European heat pump specialist, while getting out of their non-climate control-related businesses. Initially, Wall Street didn't like the deal. Carrier stock got crushed in response. But we spoke to CEO Dave Gitlin a few weeks later. And I thought he presented a very compelling case for the deal. Eventually, the market seemed to come around, which is how carrier stock rallied from 41 at the time of the interview to 60 bucks in early August. Unfortunately, of course, like so many other economically sensitive stocks, this one's pulled back hard over the past couple of weeks. Down to the low 50s. Could be a bargain. Today, Carrier and Viesman held a joint webcast where they spoke about the benefits of the merger. I think it's a great chance to revisit this story. So let's go straight to the source with Dave Gitlin, the chairman and CEO of Carrier Global, to hear the pitch direct. Mr. Gitlin, welcome back to Bad Money. Jim, thank you so much for having us back. All right, so Dave, I thought this deal was incredibly compelling the first time around, as you know. What did you tell people today that would make it so that people really understand how important this merger is? Well, this was our investors' real first opportunity to hear directly from Max Wiesman himself. And he emphasized what we've been emphasizing from five, for five months since we first talked to you. Number one, the continent's going to see hyper growth as Europe transitions from boilers to electric heat pumps. Number two is there is no company in Europe better positioned to take advantage of that hypergrowth than Wiesman because they have the best channel, the best brand, the best technology, the holistic solutions around solar PV, battery, and heat pumps. And then number three is he talked about his rationale for the deal. He actually said very openly that he could have sold it for more to others. He also pushed us very hard for more equity, and we capped it at 20% of the deal because he believes in this combination. He's joining our board of directors, and he believes, and he believes since day one, that one plus one had to equal four, and he doubled down on that philosophy. Now, at the same time, you've got some businesses that, candidly, I like, but they're going to go. Why should they go? Because some of them have pretty good growth rates. Well, we concluded that focus matters. Jim, you know very well when we spun from United Technologies, we created enormous uh, value at Carrier. And the same is true. We have our fire and security division and then our stationary refrigeration businesses that are in and of themselves phenomenal franchises. But we determined strategically that our focus is to be the world leader in intelligent climate and energy solutions. And those businesses did not adequately fit to our North Star. So we are in the process of selling them. The amount of interest in those assets has been phenomenal, so we are very cautiously optimistic on those sell prices that we're going to achieve. We're going to use it to pay down some debt, accelerate a buyback, and then look for further growth that's directly in our core. You, want to, you have the capital, you think, to accelerate a buyback and grow this one focused business? Is that lucrative, you think, those divisions you're selling? A hundred percent. You know, we feel very good. We said that we said that we would do a buyback, at least amount commensurate with the shares that we're going to be issuing to Wiesman, but we'll probably do more than that. And we also have the ability to accelerate some of the debt pay down and then look for growth because the story for Carrier since day one of our spin has been about growth. And we've been seeing it. We've been seeing extended growth. And now what we're doing with Wiesman Climate Solutions is we're investing in the highest growth market in our space globally, which is going to see consistent double digit growth because it's transitioning from gas boilers, a lot of reliance on Russian gas to the entire energy and climate solutions industry focus, which is really around electric heat pumps. You know, Dave, I wonder whether people started to warm up to the deal when they realized that Europe is a different regimen than we are. Europe is offering a tremendous, a carrot and stick. You can make a huge amount of money, actually make money, if you adopt your, well, if you adopt Thiesman, maybe people don't understand that that's how Europe works. It's 100% right, Jim. If you look at Europe, you have 17 countries 
that either have bans or partial bans on fossil fuel heating, and they also have subsidies. So Italy, 90% subsidy to move to heat pumps. Germany, if it passes through the upper house, which it will probably in the next month or so, 70% subsidy to move to electric heating. So when you look across Europe, you're seeing significant regulation and subsidy that is accelerating the transition to electric heating. One of the things I like is you're not even giving us the possibility that these are so good that they'll be adopted here. And yet clearly it's, it's the best solution, isn't it? It's a great solution. And what we're seeing in the United States from the Inflation Reduction Act is further incentives in the United States, $2,000, for example, to transition to heat pumps here in the United States. So the same kind of regulation subsidy that you're seeing in Europe, you're starting to see more and more of that in the United States, which is also you're going to see the same transition you saw in vehicles as you're seeing the transition to electric vehicles. You're seeing that in homes and buildings, a transition from traditional fossil fuel heating to electric heating. And that transition is being accelerated here in the United States. Wiesman has an air-to-water solution that could become more prominent in the United States. All right, so Dave, let me ask something. I hope you don't regard this as unfair because you're a business person and you're out there to make carriers as great as possible. A lot of our viewers are saying, I don't even want to own anything to have you do with stock when I can earn four and a half on a tenure. But isn't it true that you can bring out, you have confidence that you could bring out more value, that that is not such a high hurdle rate for you to achieve? Yes. I mean, you look at our financial algorithm. There's not a lot of companies or industries where you're going to see growth in the high single digits. We've committed to, we've been achieving consistently EPS in the double digit range. We got cash flow equal to net income. And then you look at removing our fire and security and our commercial refrigeration business, adding in something that's been consistently growing recently in the mid-teens. That hyper growth is not something you can get through fixed income. Now, the people uh, also should understand, it's not like that our country has been devoid of, you mentioned the $2,000 incentive, but you guys have done pretty well, and you you actually kind of introduced it on our show in in a K-12 program that you've taken a tremendous amount of share that people don't even know in this country unless they are literally at the school that it's happening at. Yeah, look, K-12 has been starved for way too long in the United States of funding. Our K-12 business will be up 20% this year. The U.S. government's allocated $190 billion to K-12, through $90 billion of which hasn't even been allocated yet. And that last $90 billion is right in our wheelhouse because that's more in infrastructure spending, things like upgrading your HVAC system, not only for more energy-efficient heating and cooling solutions, but also for healthy indoor environment, which is right in our wheelhouse. Uh, I have not heard anything which says that if there was a dramatic slowdown in Europe or here, uh, spending would stop for the kind of, uh, of things that you're doing. I hear about climate control. I hear about initiatives that are about the safety of our world. You're playing in those. These don't seem to be affected by the fact that, let's say, rates go to six. They don't stop. They don't. And, you know, look, you look at getting to net zero by 2050. You look at the kind of commitments that the European Union has made through the Paris Agreement, Fit for 55, Repower EU, which doubled down on their commitment to get a 50% reduction in carbon emissions by 2030. You look at those frameworks that are in the United States, in Europe, and what you're going to see is continued more and more funding towards building that, uh, building solutions that are more energy efficient. Because remember, Jim, that 40% of carbon emissions come from buildings right. and 40% of that from HVAC systems. So we'll talk a lot about vehicles. People will talk about jet fuel. Jet fuel is less than 3%. Buildings, 
40%. So we have to be part of the solution in our industry. So you'll continue to see regulation and you'll continue to see incentives to transition to more energy efficient and electric solutions for buildings and homes. It just makes so much sense. It's the kind of thing I know I'm looking for for my travel trust for the investing club because I'm not concerned about rates. I am concerned that we cut emissions. And that would be what you do, Dave Gitlin at Carrier. Dave's the CEO and chairman of Carrier Global, and he's done such an amazing job. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Dave. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. Thank you so much. People, I want you to understand that it is a difficult market, but there are companies that are doing things that are amazing, that are being obscured by the difficult market and what you hear about treasuries. You have to think bigger sometimes. Carrier is thinking bigger. Mad Money's back at Fifth Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast-fire lightning round, next. Before we start the lightning round, there's something really exciting that I want to share with you today. The reason it's so special is because it's just for you, Mad Money viewers. You always hear me talking about the work I do for the special community that is the CBC Investing Club. For this week only, I'm going to share a little taste of the work that I do with Jeff Marks during the day. Let me give you an example of what you get. In uncertain times, subscribers turn to the club for rational thinking about what's going on. Mark, you got clobbered today. And those that were on our 10.20 a.m. morning meeting, which is exclusive to the subscribers of the club, noticed that we were taking what seems to be an irrational business and explaining it to your benefit. Tape changes throughout the day, of course. So at around 2 p.m., we do the home stretch, another benefit or feature exclusive to club members. And today, that's where we begin to think maybe it's time to do some picking up here of quality stocks because the market is finally oversold. I think this stuff is so pertinent, so important to educating you about how to be a better investor. I think you should be a member of the club and get more insights, just like I just told you. That's why CNBC is giving you an exclusive offer only available to Mad Money viewers. So grab your phone, open your camera, and point it at the QR code. Or go to cnbc.com slash Offer. And now it is time. It's up for the white round. Crazy your best for taking calls. Rapid fire. The name is Stock. You said it. Bye bye. Pass away. My step friends. You play the sale. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy. Time for the lightning round. Crazy. Let's start with Gabe in Michigan. Gabe. Hey, Jim. Hey, Gabe. What's going on? Hey, oil companies have refined their operations, generating healthy cash flow, as we know. Oil's up 13 last, 13% last month. But this company's down 6%. Thoughts on Devon Energy? You know what? I think that this is time for Devon to be able to broke out of the uh, of purgatory here. I think the stock is low enough. It's, it had a bad quarter. It's being punished endlessly. That's wrong. Brad in Georgia. Brad. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah to you. What's up? Would you help me understand what's happening with Fiverr International? Yes. It's, not, it's, a, it's a nice online marketplace, but it's not making money. And this market will not buy or take to any company that's not making money. Tad in North Carolina. Tad. Hi, Jim. Hey, Tad. Can you tell me what's going on with Transmedic? I can't uh, figure this one out. No, you should be able to. This is kind of a rational market. It's a market that says, you know what? If the company's losing money, unless it gets a bid in the biotech business, we're going to send it lower for now. Let's go to Dave in Illinois. Dave. Dr. Kramer, my mad mezcal aficionado, when are you coming to Chicago? Well, we went there once before, Dave, but you know what? If you say we should be back, you know, I'll head it that way. Let's, can we wait till the spring, though? Jim, yeah, your thoughts on Boston Scientific. 
Oh, my God. Dave, I'll tell you, I took it home this weekend, and I said, I was studying it. I said, is there ever a day when this thing is not recommended? This is just such a good company, Dave. As so often, you bring us fantastic ideas. BSX is the best in show. Kicking myself if we don't it for the trust. Alan in Florida. Alan. There's a worldwide nuclear renaissance happening because nuclear is now considered clean energy and may be our only way to get to net zero energy goals. Small modular reactors are changing the energy landscape. Uranium prices are soaring and Russia is no longer considered a reliable source. Domestic uranium is a premium. Could UEC's share prices go nuclear? All right, I will tell you this. I agree with you about nuclear. I've been, I've been saying that over and over again. We had Constellation Energy on last week. I felt even more like it, so I have to say that you've got a very good spec in UEC. I need to go to Alex in Pennsylvania, please. Alex. Hey, Jim. Just want to say thanks for taking the call. Oh, I wanted sure. to throw out a company that I think has some pain in store for the next three to six months, but undervalued at the current price. Paramount Global, ticker para. Boy, I'll tell you, the entertainment stocks are so hated. I, I, I think you might be able to get this thing two points to three points lower, but it's not expensive anymore. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. Coming up, fierce rivals, but friends in search? Why Apple and Google are unified against the FTC. Next. If you didn't know any better, you'd think it's one gigantic comic opera. Talk about the FTC's decision to sue the greatest bargain creator of all time, Amazon, for exercising alleged monopoly power, while at the same time the Justice Department is grilling Apple's Eddie Q to learn more about how Google allegedly monopolizes search to the detriment of all of their competitors. In the old days, the regulator's main antitrust standard was how things worked out for the consumer, and both these companies have been fantastic for consumers. We cared about outcomes to the consumer first and foremost. I'm not asking the FTC or the Justice Department to give either company the Congressional Medal of Commerce, but I do think the regulator should think like that again, especially in an era where the consumer is being shredded by inflation. And these two companies are actually trying to do something about it. But Justice and the FTC are going after Google and Amazon like their Standard Oil, a company that set out to get 100% of the market and then did exactly that. Rockefeller Standard Oil tried to monopolize by any means necessary and it succeeded. So the government sued to break it up. A good decision because there was no competition. Standard Oil could charge whatever it wanted. I'm sure Google and Amazon would love to be actual monopolies, and they may have been real tough competitors, but neither of them has that kind of scale. Google has to pay Apple $20 billion a year to be their default search engine. That doesn't sound like it has monopoly power. We are not at Google's mercy because of this deal either. Unlike Standard Oil, the benchmark of monopolistic behavior, Google has the most powerful, wealthiest competitor in the world, Microsoft. And it's Bing Engine. And Microsoft doesn't need the FTC's protection here, although it's getting it. Bing has lost so far because it's simply not as good as Google. I think Apple would go with Bing if Bing had the better reputation, better program, but even if Microsoft wasn't willing to pay them as much. Eddie Q, who runs Apple's services division, is all about giving users the best possible experience. That's more than the government wants you to have. Why does that seem to matter to Justice? Simple. In the end, they don't want any company to be as big or as powerful as Alphabet or Amazon. Same goes for the FTC, only more so. The head of the FTC, Lena Khan, has had it in for Amazon for years. She even wrote a Law Review article arguing it should be broken up years ago. I understand their impulse to look at these multi-trillion dollar companies and decide enough is enough. No business should be that powerful. But they got that big because they're so much better than the competition. No amount of regulatory action can roll that back. 
Once again, the consumer loves Amazon. That's why the company has tens of millions of Amazon Prime subscribers. There are so many other sites and so much commerce done away from Amazon that it, like Alphabet, may have set out to try to monopolize, but it, too, can't honestly be called a monopoly. Oh, and to be sure, you don't start a company or grow it by thinking, you know what, I'm going to be number three or four in order to not be investigated by the U.S. government. Now, let's get one thing straight. The government has it in for any company that's so powerful that it becomes borderline impossible for other businesses to compete. That's the administration's current doctrine. If you're a rich and powerful company, and here I mean very powerful, then this government's going to try to find a way to prosecute you, even if it's bad for the consumer. The consumer doesn't matter as much as the squelch competition. I think that's wrong. But so what if I do? I do not run the Justice Department or the FTC, but this is not mad law school. Sure, over the next few weeks, I'll opine on these cases, both in the merits of the law. But this is mad money. So let me give you what you came here for. Google stock has outperformed the Nasdaq since the government's case began. I think the same thing will happen with Amazon stock, especially because the only real way to cure a company from being so big and powerful is to split into three companies, first-party retail, third-party retail, and cloud computing. And if they were to break Amazon up like that, well, it would be worth a heck of a lot more than it's trading now. D.A. Davidson, no dog in the hunt, says Amazon will be worth almost $200 on a breakup. Stock's at 126 I rest my case. So let me be like Deputy U.S. Marshal Sam Gerard when Dr. Richard Kimball says he didn't kill his wife. I don't care. Forget the motivations. Buy, buy, Both buy. stocks are buys. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I'm pumped to find just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 